in between episode 29, the secret to transforming our healthcare system revealed a summary of the wisdom of Relentless Health Value guests in 2020. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I had a vision for this in-between episode. I wanted to highlight the wisdom of our amazing guests this year. I really wanted to find some theme that might be a key to our healthcare transformation to achieve maximum suspense. Here's the very short story of how I got from Is there a common thread of wisdom throughout all of the RHV episodes this year? To why, yes, there is. And it's a good one. So let's start out our journey of discovery with this. Here's a fact. If you talk to patients, they will often tell you that they receive poor care or their needs are not met when they fall between different providers or their payer and their provider and their PBM are singing off a different sheets of music. Here is Dr. Don Fowles from episode 291 saying how this exact thing happens in Arizona for patients in the hospital for their mental health. So the person would get stabilized in the hospital, do well, then to get discharged, only to go back but to the outpatient provider, but the outpatient provider didn't know what the game plan was. And so just continued with what he or she was doing to begin with. Invariably, it doesn't work. So the person winds up back in the hospital. So the readmission rates, actually, this happens all over the country, but just by way of example here, one of our providers was in the, in the low 40% range, which is huge. In our industry in behavioral health, 10 to 15% readmission rate is, is a reasonable, to be expected almost, readmission rate. So in the 40%, you're way the heck out as an outlier. So we created a performance measure to reduce the readmission rate from, say, like 40 down to 20% in a year's time, which is ambitious. But what it drove was the outpatient provider and the hospital providers getting together to collaborate with each other and figure out how do we make this happen. And so we let you outpatient provider know what we did in the hospital and you let us know what you did in the outpatient basis. And by collaborating, our chances for that person staying out of the hospital are much greater. You heard what Dr. Fowles said at the end there. It was all about collaboration until the providers decided to collaborate with each other and payers were part of the dialogue, patients suffered. Like I said just now, I've been thinking a lot about what it will take to get to a place where the triple or even quadruple aim is actually met. Trying to find a, you know, keystone factor that might be the starting point to get us there. I don't mean for this to become like an episode of Blue's Clues, but could it be collaboration? I interviewed Dr. Sylvia Rahm, who has served a number of roles, including innovation officer at a large health system. Let's see what she has to say in our interview last year. I think that one of the things that I am most proud about in the type of work that I do is that there is an extreme sense of camaraderie between the different people in organizations all across the country and really also in different sectors of healthcare. So I've become good friends and good colleagues with some people in insurance plans and in some people who are looking in the employer market. 
and really bringing these people together to think about problems in the same way. Because I think we all recognize that there is a lot of improvement that can be had in our healthcare system, not health system, but like in healthcare writ large. And the fact that we're all working together and, and looking in the same direction is really momentous. And it's a, it's a really big deal. And so I'm really proud of that. So secret weapon, collaboration. Collaboration, always. Okay, so secret weapon, collaboration, hypothesis confirmed. And the theme of collaboration, once I identified it, was strong through so many of the Relentless Health Value shows this past year. Now that the pickle is out of the jar, here's Dr. Don Fowles again. The one thing I would like to just add on this, you know, we talked about data and value-based purchasing and, and evidence-based treatments, but I think if there's one thing that I think is really going to move the needle in healthcare in all these arenas, it's the ability to get people together to collaborate, meet, talk, and work on problems with each other. Probably the thing that I find that I spend most of my time with, bringing different companies together to solve a shared problem and then making that happen. More and more, you're seeing, you know, medical people talk with behavioral health people, mental health people talking with substance use people, pharmacy companies talking with all of them. These problems are complex and multifactorial in nature. And so the ability to bring people together and collaborate and problem solve together is really probably, if there was one thing that I think is, you know, really going to change things, it's, it's that. Data is important, value-based purchasing is important, but if you don't have people working together and rowing in the same direction to achieve a result, it's tough to do. So that would be the one thing I would add. If I were going to come up with some kind of ontology for collaborations, I'd say there's two kinds at least. There's the vertical kind, i.e. different stakeholders working together so that a longitudinal patient journey is seamless but also lateral or horizontal collaborations amongst like stakeholders who can share best practices or work together. So let's talk about these vertical collaborations first. So multiple stakeholders working together across a patient journey. This could be, you know, like provider and patient, which is inarguably the relationship that every other collaboration should wrap around. Some have even called this patient-provider collaboration the atomic unit of healthcare. Here's Dr. Kim Noel from Stony Brook on episode 251. Once you have an understanding of the need for patient-centered care, the second part of the task is to give the proper tools for that self-management. And that's important for, it's really a call for collaboration for several stakeholders, right? We need, obviously, the hospital systems because they're at the point of discharge, but you need the ambulatory and community providers and community resources to help support patients but also the opportunity for technology in helping optimize care delivery to reduce errors. And some of the problems that we have in healthcare are not unique to healthcare. They've been solved in banking and in, in the commercial space, and we can learn from that. And when you have a patient empowered with access to data and accurate resources, they can do a really good job taking care of themselves. Where we as a medical system can improve is by reducing the amount of inefficiencies and errors that may harm a patient and forming strong collaborations with outside resources that can help a patient navigate through their chronic illness. Another name for the provider-patient collaboration besides the atomic unit of healthcare might be shared decision-making. 
Payers collaborating with providers is another collaboration that can improve patient lives for the better. Here's an excerpt from episode 259 with Rahul Dubey, who's a consultant and the founder of the AHIP Innovation Lab. Speaking of collaborations, and it almost seems like collaboration is, is a rate critical. If a payer really wants to grow, as you put it, then the ability to be a good partner or the ability to know how to collaborate optimally is going to be something that is absolutely vital. Yeah, the great aggregator is the way that I like to put it. It's as a payer, as a risk-bearing entity, as the leader of, of delivering care in that market, we need to be the great aggregators of, of information, of solutions, of resources, and we need to be able to distribute that amongst our brothers and sisters in, in the ecosystem, payers, providers, pharma, and medtech. And we need to be able to look at the needs of the market and stand up and say, we are the original equipment manufacturer. We are the OEM. You know, Toyota does not make every piece that goes into their car, but they do source that. And we are responsible for making sure that they know how to build those pieces. And if they don't, then we need to help them because it means a better product. Now here's Richard Zane from UC Health System in episode 255 echoing this same theme, but with a little bit of advice for payers. Payers are our partners in this. Payers have to be our partners in innovation. It cannot be just providers. It can't be just patients. It can't be just tech. Um, it has to be payers as well. They are intimate within this world and it affects them and it affects our patients. What's one thing that you would like payers or that you really see where payers could contribute to patient outcomes? I mean, is it simply providing their claims data or like, what do you want from them? I want a little bit of patience. I want them to think about innovation as something different than clinical transformation. Uh, innovation is really new to the world, which means that we are going to be successful. We are going to have failures. So I want payers at the table early, not late, and I want them to collaborate, not dictate. Another kind of collaboration might be between employers and their employees slash labor unions, which, you know, shouldn't be overlooked, methinks. Here's Mark Bloom from America's Agenda. Costs get shifted onto workers by employers, typically. That's their first reaction. Labor has no one to shift costs onto. They fight back against cost shifting, but they must take another step and actually take leadership innovation to solve the cost drivers. And if employers join with them and do it together, then we transform collective bargaining into a happy dialogue about how we share the savings we created together. I was chatting about collaborations amongst various stakeholders with David Contorno and Emma Fox from ePowered Benefits. And I thought it'd be important to point out what we are not talking about here. Colluding. Collusion versus yeah, collaboration. That's right. We should that discuss that. <laughs> They're not interchangeable. The way I see it, if better patient care isn't the goal of your collaboration, if mutually making more money off the backs of patients is the main goal, is it colluding? It's at least suspect ethically. Here's Rahul Dubey again saying this very eloquently. I think there's some amazing sessions of introspection taking place within these, these organizations. And I think one question we like to ask ourselves, and I even ask the CEOs this, is who are we trying to serve? And I think if we continue to answer that question and go back to why we originally started and what our intent is, is the people that we, who do we serve and are we doing that? And if not, then how, what does that look like? And I think we need to go back because sometimes we get lost into, oh, I need to meet this 
compliance regulation, or I need to lower this cost, or I need to pull this lever because it's going to improve my job satisfaction. We are human, right? We do serve ourselves, but who are we trying to serve? And I think that that's a very good question to to start off every discussion, framework creation around healthcare innovation and transformation. Before we move into the horizontal kinds of collaborations, I'd like to mention that many of the Relentless Health Value guests have had some help with colleagues at home. Let's hear from a few of these collaborators. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Stacey. My cat is meowing. (laughs) Marley, stop. All right. Give me one second. I'm about to close the blinds. He gets very upset with, with our squirrels. They, they just irritate him. I'm not sure why, but they do. Other relentless health value guest collaborations have included ambulances, helicopters, a few, I'm sure, lovely teenage children screaming, ice machines, doorbells, and one really large bug. I don't mean a computer bug. I mean like some kind of beetle with very powerful wings. Relentless Health Value is edited, so it's all good, especially in the middle of a pandemic with everyone working from home. So let's move on to what I'm going to call lateral or horizontal collaborations. A really great example of collaboration and best practice sharing, but also, you know, just community is the coffee breaks for benefit consultants and brokers that Emma Fox and David Contorno started and run. So you guys have been doing the coffee hours. I would consider that a really amazing forum for collaboration that you've set up there. What have you gained from that? Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. humility for sure. (laughs) Lots and lots of humility. We've gained people. We've established this community of people that we can call. And that sometimes is completely business related. Sometimes it's absolutely personal. It started out as we were bored. We were not socializing with anybody, of course, and we really wanted to connect. And so actually it was it was born of a completely selfish motivation for us to connect with other people. And what we found was we were able to give just as much to others. And I've always believed that if we collaborate instead of compete, we will all be doing better and be able to deliver better. And I think the coffee breaks have have proven that. We've got more engagement in people who want to co-consult. And we've learned that we can meet people halfway and not just do what we do 100% of the time, but perhaps throw a little what we consider innovation in every now and then as a result of somebody that was on the coffee break. This whole idea of lateral or horizontal collaborations, which Dr. Sylvia Rahm actually at the top of this conversation also alluded to, she was also talking about how much she has learned from others who have tackled similar challenges as she was facing. Dave Chase from Health Rosetta, an author of several excellent books you should definitely read, has said that the problem in the healthcare industry isn't really that we need innovation, it's that we need imitation. In so many cases, the solution already exists. You know, someone somewhere already solved for it. It's just that the solution has not been adopted broadly. So lateral or horizontal collaborations are how ideas and solutions can spread and be imitated. Here's an amazing example of how, of how collaborations amongst brokers add up to tangible results that really benefit all involved. Here's David Contorno. Other consultants in the area geographically that we know embraces these types of plans. And we said, hey, have you been working with this health system? And if the answer is no, at least not in a collaborative way, 
then we start to scale our lives together. So how many members do your plans have in that area? How many members does our plans have in that area? Can we bring in a few other consultants who are doing these types of plans and then go to that health system and say, we have 10,000 lives or whatever the number is where any one employer on their own would be too small to get their attention. Now let's hear from George Matthews in episode 253. He's talking about how companies working with multiple providers or payers or other stakeholders can actually become leaders of collaborative best practice building. But that's where the collaboration piece comes in. We're taking commentary from these companies as they give the process saying what works, what doesn't, and let's modify the process as we go forward. And that's all because they're keeping an, an open ear and an open mind to what works and what doesn't. So all this being said about vertical and lateral or horizontal collaborations, there are certainly a few questions that I wound up having about collaboration. One of them was, what is the distinction between a transaction and a collaboration? I asked Emma Fox. A transaction is, is really a trade of a product. I believe that most of the time we are exchanging a product or a currency. We are transacting with another entity. For a mutual benefit, sure, but generally we're just exchanging a product. When you start collaborating with someone, something, a business, an employer, now we're exchanging thought and strategy and value and investment in each other. That's the big difference. And the financial piece of it will come. Absolutely it will. But we have to stop thinking that we're trading a currency for a product and realize that we're trading a value between two intellectual entities instead. This might be a twist, but consider what Alex Fair from MedStarter said here in this outtake from episode 229. Given that MedStarter is all about community and crowdfunding, Alex knows a thing or two about creating environments where people can collaborate. One thing, as you contemplate what Alex says here, whenever you hear startup company, insert pharma company, or somebody with a grant, or somebody who needs something tested, or medical device company, or anybody trying to collaborate with a hospital by paying them or building out something big for them for free and calling it a pilot. So here's me asking a question to Alex Fair. There is just a, there is a typical startup story where a startup goes, they get a pilot at one large hospital. That mm -hmm. large hospital crafts the startup basically in their image. <laughs> so the startup can then not scale at all because basically they created a custom solution for this particular hospital. How do yeah. you not fall into that trap? We don't tend to work with those companies. So I don't really know how they fail in that respect. I can tell you how they succeed. You need to listen to not just that hospital, but understand how it's going to be marketable to other hospitals and always keep talking to the other hospital leaders. So when we run a contest or a program, we're going to bring in a thousand hospital leaders and say, hey, guys, what do you think? And then that's a way to do it. But the way that you already know the right answer is by talking to other ones. I love his point. If you're going to go deep with one health system or other entity and you don't already have, you know, kind of a trusted trusting relationship with them that you've built up over time and or you're not bringing the value of an aggregated view on the marketplace. You might think you're collaborating with them, but from their point of view, you might just be somebody paying them for goods or service, which is otherwise known as a transaction. And if that's the case, the second that you stop paying them or doing the free thing, your transactional relationship will grind to a halt. So what are the essential ingredients of a collaboration? 
Here's one, probably the biggest one, which was reiterated any number of times on many episodes, but summed up so well by Steve Schutzer in this outtake from episode 294. Well, you know, this is going to sound onerous, but the social scientists would say that developing a culture of trust de novo could take three to five years. And if there's already a culture, if you're not starting an organization de novo, it could take five to seven years. Now, maybe you can short circuit that once you get the energy going and the, and the right people in the right place, but it takes time. So if collaboration moves at the speed of trust, does that mean that small de-risked collaboration is needed at the beginning when there is no trust or that one party needs to be kind of like the giver and offer up something worthwhile to collaborate around to demonstrate their commitment to, you know, a mutual goal first? And how does somebody get that party started? My co-president over here at Aventria, Dave Dirk, has a few thoughts on this matter. I think it's a less of an issue of, of de-risk, and I could be wrong. This is just my opinion. I, it can be less an issue of de-risk and more an issue of are we working towards a common goal? You need to build a language set that you share so that you're communicating well, you're aligned on where you're trying to go together with a common goal, you're using the same language, and you're providing different componentry, but you know different skill sets that collaborate and combine to build a better whole towards a common goal. But of course, there is a few elephants in the room. One of them is payment models. If everyone's incented only by volume, then there's very little incentive to collaborate with other providers in all the ways that, for example, Dr. Kim Noel and others were talking about earlier in this episode. Whether it's self-interest or a system that forces providers to let patients dangle in the wind between a series of point solutions, the why might be a conundrum, but the ultimate victim is pretty clear. It's the patient. Based on what so many Relentless Health Value guests who are also experts many times in their respective domains have said, I think it's a pretty sound assumption that we all should probably be contemplating how we can better collaborate. It's what it's going to take for this healthcare system of ours to really be transformed. And it's also, frankly, one of the reasons why I started this podcast to begin with. I noticed that stakeholders had a really hard time communicating because sometimes vested interests that each of us have were so complex that I witnessed, you know, one well-intentioned group after another unable to find common ground needed to collaborate. But also, you know, sometimes the reasons why collaborations frankly fall apart and communications fall apart is because simply everybody has their own acronyms and ways to say things. And we have to be able to communicate if we're going to collaborate. Thus, the podcast was started so that I could help do my part to help everybody understand where others from other parts of the industry were coming from. And so we all could get up to speed on everybody else's lingo. So it's my hope that we can all help each other at a minimum, it's a much nicer world to live in. I'll let my co-president, Dave Dirk, over here at Aventry Health, wrap up today. Thanks, Stacy. The important message that I would like to share and what we're seeing at this point in time that is such a great opportunity for everyone involved in healthcare and everyone who benefits from it, i.e. patients and families, the exciting and important perspective that I think we should all embrace. 2020 has been an unprecedented year with chaos and impact, but also with learnings and actions 
that have come from the suffering of the pandemic. In an unprecedented way, we are seeing a phenomenon whereby healthcare providers, and that includes payers and hospitals and IDNs and, and physician groups and staff, are newly looking for rapid ways to collaborate, to improve patient care, to sustain patient care, and improve and sustain outcomes. Historically, there were silos and there were fences and there were barriers, and we're seeing that over the course of 2020, this has broken down, and there's a great willingness to work together and find new solutions to provide better patient care because there's a need for it. And as we look at 2021, what a fantastic opportunity for us to double down on how to work together because the doors are being opened and there's a common need and opportunity to improve patient outcomes, leveraging everyone's expertise and everyone's insights and working together with that diversity to solve these challenges of healthcare, to realize our aspirations of contributing to patient care improvement. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.